But if we were honest, most of the time this occurs, it's actually over surface-level things. In the West, we often reduce our scriptural understandings of patience and endurance, kind of like I did this week, to merely getting through frivolous first-world problems unscathed. A swathe of modern preachers are feeding that reductive beast too, and the church is suffering for it. I actually think the enemy is okay with us being focused on those things and... Yeah, absolutely. God is actually, the Spirit is working in us and oh, He's given me patience to deal with these little things. He's given me endurance to deal with these little things. I think the enemy's fine with you getting victories like that because they're rather hollow victories in the end. When we focus much of our patience and endurance resources on surface things, this will come at the expense of giving attention to the deeper things that Peter's idea of patient endurance calls for. To get that depth, we need to understand who Peter is writing to here afresh. All right, we already know about these false teachers in the church, these ones who are emerging as threats. Peter has named specifically a group called the Balaamites. Scholars tell us that the early firing shots of Gnosticism is in place here also. We know from last month that self-control was something they clearly did not have. And they were using a twisted religious expression to fuel their own agendas and depravity. I, would not, I wouldn't call it a Christian one, but that was the flag they're flying. The Gnostics are claiming special knowledge that is also saying, we know better because God showed us stuff that the apostles don't know about. Do it our way and do it our immoral way in the process. In 2 Peter, Peter, he's also dealing with another significant doctrinal issue, though. Chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, it is my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Not these false guys, through the apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. One more element, one more ripple in this rather intense bunch. They're flawed because of their deception of special knowledge. They're flawed because they throw off restraint and self-control. They're flawed because they're slaves to their old selves, not fit to be teaching the people of God. And now we read they are even questioning the very promises of God. In this case, whether Jesus would indeed return. Look, I've got a little bit of empathy for them in this regard, okay? Because we know through church tradition that those living in the apostolic age did have some hope and even belief that Jesus would return in their lifetime. 
We see in John's Gospel one strand of belief that John would remain alive until Christ came back. We see a fair degree of urgency in the writing of the Apostles, don't we, when it comes to the return of Christ. Here's some examples. Romans uh, chapter 13. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Doesn't that sound urgent? The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. There's a very imminent idea of Christ's return in that. There's also caution in Paul's writing. 2 Thessalonians has this. Concerning the come of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. 1 Corinthians 4. Already you have what you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. One prominent false teaching of the day was fostering a sense of impatience within the church. It's teaching the church that Christ's return had either already occurred or, as is the case here with Peter's audience, not going to happen at all. Some scholars even suggest that this was blatant arrogance in play. One guy actually describes it as a preacher getting up and shaking his fist at God going, where is your coming? If you saw that from the pulpit, you can imagine that would breed a sense of discouragement within the church, yeah? If there's no hope on the pulpit, where's the hope? <laughs> and it put the believers at great risk of dropping the ball with their faith. I mean, if Christ's return was not going to occur, why bother living like it is? I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that the Western church can at times run the risk of losing sight of this as well. We can easily lose sight of Christ's imminent return. We can be so enamored with temporal things. We can so, be so caught up seeking God's help for those surface day-to-day -day things. God, give me patience just to get through this day of work. God, give me the patience just so I can get off the phone and deal with, you know, just so that person on the client on the phone just doesn't do my head in. Give me the endurance just to make it through the week. We can get so caught up in those things that we can lose sight of the long game of faith. And we have a significant dropping of the ball moment when we do that. For 
For some, we drop it because, like the Corinthians, we embrace a kind of triumphalism. We can fall for the idea that somehow as believers, we've already arrived. Christ's return is kind of immaterial to that. For some, there's nothing more to learn. No more knowledge to seek, no more growth to pursue, no holiness to consider, no further transformation to happen, no more work to do, no mission to accept. And since I'm living my best life now, there's not a lot of thought to my eternal future ever, or the future of others. It can get to the point in our church setting, that the gospel of too many people is one with eternity as an afterthought. Or, like Peter's audience in Asia Minor, we can simply live like any talk of Christ's return is simply just that. Talk. Paul's description of the return to the Thessalonians is one of glory but also something incredibly ominous. Believers are gathered, but first there's some heavy stuff going to go down and judgment is going to follow the return. When we explore the many parables of Christ about this time to come, we see continual instructions to his followers to be sober, to be watchful, to be vigilant, to be pure, active, awake and ready for the unspecified time of his return. But those among Peter's audience, there's a breed of preachers down there denying the return. And congregational members are putting off all readiness, holiness, sobriety, and purity in response. I feel compelled at this time, friends, to ask if in our heart of hearts, does any of that fit the bill with us? Is there a life in us that has lost sight of the big picture? Are there things going on in our lives that betray a lack of either understanding or belief in Christ's return? Have we reached a place of unteachable, ungrowable triumphalism? Has eternity kind of been relegated to an afterthought. I'll think about it when judgment comes. I'm just not going to hell. That's about it. Have we succumbed to temporal things so much? Are we putting so much energy into holding little things at bay that we don't give much thought to anything past tomorrow? If this is you, then Peter's solution is yours also. Self-control deals with those day-to-day things. All those things that you're clinging to, going, God, help me to get me through those little things, that's part of the self-control that the Spirit gives us to do. It's all in this wall. This is a different wall altogether.
Our entire faith outlook depends on us going deeper than this. And looking for something even deeper again. Peter writes, to self-control, add perseverance. To add steadfastness. Add patient endurance. The Greek word used here calls us to remain constant or remain under. To set our hopeful gaze consistently forward despite hardship or opposition. It is understood to be the characteristic of a person who is not swerved from deliberate purpose or loyalty to faith, even by the greatest trials or sufferings. It's far deeper than just missing a flight and getting over it, right? We see from the writings of Paul and James that this, is a sort, that this sort of perseverance is actually the mark of a mature Christian. Here we see victories. Here we see maturity. Catch that? We've got victories here. But we've got maturity here. Romans 5. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wow, it's a, it's a variety. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Mature and complete. That's a journey of discipleship right there. You know, when, when Jesus said, be perfect as the Father is perfect, these are the same sort of words in play here. This is a state of play that we reach. This is, this is a maturing in us. This is a growing up that is taking place. Perseverance is our growing up moment. This is where our discipleship becomes grown up. And then we start crossing the threshold from growing up to influence, to effectiveness. In Revelation, three churches are applauded by Jesus himself for the perseverance in their midst. The churches of Rome, Corinth, Thessalonica, and Colossae are all applauded for their perseverance. And there is a sobering pattern here. Not a single one of these churches or believers gained that trait through an easy avenue. There is no easy pass, no easy road to perseverance. Therefore, there is no easy road to maturity in faith. If perseverance leads to maturity, and if perseverance comes with trials, suffering, challenges, opposition, then you must face those things and be strong enough to do so in order to reach the maturity that comes with that. Perseverance comes about as a result of getting some runs on the board in our spiritual journey. A Christian with only nominal faith 
is actually never going to get to this point of spiritual development. A Christmas and Easter Christian won't reach it. A Christian that wants to fly solo, just me and Jesus, won't attain it. A Christian who just wants to turn up on a Sunday, come in, come out, blow in, blow out, never open their Bible, never engage with the Lord, never engage with God's people. You'll never see it. If it's nominal, you won't get there. This will be your final hurdle. Between Paul, James and Peter, we see that perseverance is the result of a determined and resolute mind when it comes to the things of God. Paul tells us perseverance grows from suffering and it leads to character and hope. James says perseverance comes when faith is put to the test and we come out more mature because of it. In Peter's writing, a person whose faith has become conviction whose integrity is present, whose knowledge of God is strong and whose self-control is evident, well, they're a person well-equipped to be persevering in the way the Scriptures tell us to. And perseverance comes, and this is probably my biggest takeaway for the morning before we start building on this idea. Perseverance comes because a believer keeps the right perspective, the eternal one. I want to challenge one part of that eternal outlook. The one that the Apostle Peter directly speaks into. It says this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. So the day is going to happen. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Believers have every reason to persevere because we continue to live in hope of what is to come. We live in hope that Jesus will return to the earth and will subject the world to judgment. And those who live the enduring and patient life will have nothing to fear on that day. It's the day that all generations of believers have lived in anticipation of. And even if our lives cease to be before it occurs, we can still live in joyful anticipation. Someone's alarm's on. Sounds like a Toyota. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes this, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other 
with these words. Perseverance is a Christian trait. Because Christians don't merely live in the present. We live with a theology of an end game. In Bible college talk, we call this eschatology. We understand that there is a kingdom that is both here and yet to come. It's a present reality and a future hope. And because of those both being in play through the mystery of the gospel, there is a way of life to come that we also anticipate and seek to live out now as best we can with the help of the Spirit. We have not arrived. God's kingdom has not arrived in full yet, but it will. Before that inheritance comes, before that kingdom comes, there will be a triumphant, joyous and ominous return of Christ. He will be coming as king, he will be coming clearly as judge. And our job is not to try to work out all the nuts and bolts of all that. It might be a fun hobby to unravel revelation and reach all the various conclusions. But that's actually not the reason the return is promised. The return is part of our gospel and it's the reason we endure to the end despite all we experience in this life. But we live with a sense of anticipation as we go. We persevere because the one who promised this is faithful. He will be faithful then and he is faithful now. You'll notice I've added a pretty special photo to this bit. Benny Brown taking a screamer over to St Kilda players. One day, I have a hope that a North Melbourne football club captain and coach are going to hold up a big trophy. And about 50,000 people who care to show up are going to cheer for that. That's a distant hope. And yet at 2.10 today, North Melbourne plays St Kilda. I can see this happening several times over. And one of the big claims is that Benny Brown is going to kick a bag full down in Hobart today. I've put that photo up there today because I anticipate that. Yeah? And because I anticipate it, it's obviously influencing my outlook. When it comes to this faith journey we, where we are, we are on, what do we anticipate? The less we anticipate, the less restraint will show. The less maturity will pursue. The less holiness will seek after, the less influence will wield. The less impact on this world will make, the less of a stand will take in the face of opposition. And the less perseverance will actually have. And what we'll end up with is far less than what this faith we're in calls for. So as we close this morning and get Benny Brown off the screen, there's a few wounded warriors. Keep staying on, keep going. There's, there's a few wounded warriors from the footy over the weekend. 
I want to begin this month of discussion around perseverance by asking about simply our basic outlook of faith and the makeup of our gospel. Do we live in anticipation of his return? Or do we have an ignorance or an unbelief of the promise that's been made to us? Do we have any sense of eschatological living? Living that is anticipating what is to come? Or are we just stuck and engrossed in temporal things? Is it more than just, I'm living just clean enough to not go to hell? That's very entry-level thinking to this. In fact, because that's a distant thing, it's so easy to drop the endurance thing now. There's got to be more to it than that. This kingdom living that we have, this living in the kingdom of God that we have now is more than hell insurance. There's something to anticipate every day of our life. There's a return to come and there's a way of life to live in anticipation of that now. And endurance comes when we continually keep our eyes on those things. There's a lot of life to live between now and then, a lot of victories to achieve, a lot of influence to wield, a lot of world to change, a lot of eternity to actively anticipate, a lot of Christ to learn, and a bit of adversity, persecution, and suffering to face as well because our perseverance and character comes out of that. We're going to need a little bit more than hell insurance for that if we want to go the long haul for this faith. In light of all that, perhaps perseverance may be, some of us, it may be our next big challenge in faith. Today, for the first time in a long time perhaps, for the first time ever for others, or maybe just afresh, can we pause and begin to ask ourselves this, what does my gospel say about the future? What is the gospel, what, part, what future hope is featured in the gospel that I hold to? What eternal viewpoint do I have? How is that affecting the way I live my life now? Is it building endurance in me? Or is it something I've just left to an afterthought for the time being? I'll deal with it at the end of stuff. Why don't we pause and ponder that moment? What is eternity to you? What is your outlook on it? Let's pray.